0: Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Hey, welcome to Driven here on Talk Radio with me, Andy J. This is the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And we have three very special celebrity guests for you today. First up, we have a man who is, well, probably one of Hollywood's brightest shining stars from films like X-Men Apocalypse and Bohemian Rhapsody, the most excellent Ben Hardy. He's one of the guests. Then we have a man who is one of the greatest and most successful male supermodels of all time. He's a true Brit... Mr. David Gandhi. And then finally, a judge who, well, basically everybody loves because everybody watches Strictly Come Dancing. Craig Revel Horwood completes my hat trick of chatting celebrity heroes today here on Driven. Driven with Andy J on Talk Radio in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. My first guest this week you'll know is the sixth Peter Beale in EastEnders before starring in films including X-Men Apocalypse and Bohemian Rhapsody where he played Roger Taylor in the Queen biopic. But he's here today to talk about his latest role in the new film Pixie where he plays the character of Frank. Ben, welcome to Driven. Now let's start by talking about Frank. How would you
2: describe him? So Frank, the kind of guy that was a sports star at school, did well with the ladies, uh, but those were his glory days. And now he's in his his mid-20s and he's looking back on that wonderful time where he thought maybe he was going to play football in the Premier League for Man United. It never quite happened. And now he's in his mid-20s, realising that everything he thought he was going to achieve has just slowly not happened. And so he's desperate to get out of Sligo, the small town that he's from, and and, and go on an adventure of some kind and considers himself to be a bit of a wild man. So uh, when he stumbles upon a big old bag of drugs, he sees it as a perfect way to make some cash and get out
0: of there. But it's such an entertaining film, Ben. I mean, of course, you know, your character, Frank, he's, he's one of the lead roles. He falls for the heroine, Pixie, of course, who the, who the film is named after, accidentally realises that he's in the middle of this crazy kind of drug swindle that, to my great joy, involves deadly gangster priests did you know that when the script hit, when you were first handed the script for this, did you have any inkling about the gangster priests? Did anyone tell you beforehand or did when you got to that point in the script, did you just go, Oh my, this is taking a twist? No,
2: no, no one told me beforehand. Eh? No, it was definitely quite the shot. I think it adds to the absurdity of the whole thing and to the comedy of the whole thing. And it's all time in cheap, it's not, you know, making a statement about priests or anything, <laughs> but it's uh, uh yeah, definitely but I still wasn't prepared to be on set and see uh the men in, in uh, priest's garb holding nine millimetres. That was, that was quite an interesting image to, to, to see up close. It's just
0: glorious. I, I, you've got to tell me this, Ben, because, you know, I mean, like you, I've been fortunate to come into sort of contact with some really cool looking things that you're not allowed to have your mobile phone around for. When you saw Alec Baldwin decked out as a priest holding a Glock, did you just think, now I could Instagram the heck out of that?
2: You know, I'm not much of an i not much of an Instagrammer. You're right though. I'm sure that would have got some uh, got some likes. I'm the kind of guy I don't take enough photos really. sort it doesn't cross my mind. I always, you know, take it in through my eyes first rather than the, rather than uh, take a photo of it. But you're right, it would have done. I think would that. Have been a sensation to get there first and put it out
0: on the internet i think it probably speaks more to your professionalism that you didn't naturally think i need to get a photo of this on my phone rather than you know me who just wants to snap everything and then get told off so you know you win on that one you're good. all good but i gotta say <laughs> i mean you've worked with some legends but alec baldwin i'd love to meet mm. him it must have been pretty dark i know you probably don't get phased by these things anymore but nonetheless he's an icon isn't
2: he absolutely and i would- I was thrilled to be working with him and he's so professional just came in and did his business brought his own ideas and really kind of elevated the whole thing yeah like you say i grew up very damn well he's like one of my favorite movies and, and a lot of his films you know there's so many many there's so many great films there's a reason that he's at the top and it's because he's always at the top of his game and he brought that to this film as well and so it's great just to watch him and try and learn from him and and to see someone who's such an experienced pro still be so passionate and so dedicated.
0: Yeah, no, he's, he's an absolute dude. And I must say, without sort of blowing smoke, you know, in the wrong directions, Ben, you're very, very good. I mean, I've watched everything you've done, of course. Uh, you know, we, we need to talk about Bohemian Rhapsody. We need to talk about X-Men Apocalypse. But, you know, focusing on Pixie because it's out on the 23rd and I really do want to encourage people if they feel safe and comfortable going to the cinemas and I've done it, it's a, you know, it, the environment that I was in was completely safe and brilliant. And if they feel like they should be going to the cinema, this is such a good movie to go to and you're you're very, very strong in it. You find that balance balance of kind of panic-stricken fear, yet sort of trying to be cool to impress the girl thing just right. You know, the the audience absolutely like you because of... Your innocence. Thank you very much.
2: Well, I can say for that one? That's very kind of you
0: to say. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say, Ben, is obviously you're very, very good in in what is a very watchable, very entertaining film, and it's just the sort of tonic. You know, we're in a time of life right now. 2020 has been like this for everyone, where the world is weird. It's strange. It's uncomfortable. It's ever changing. The rules seem to be constantly moving in different directions. And sometimes we just need a happy distraction. And Pixie feels like that.
2: I love going to the cinema, but the cinema part myself. So, you know, for that, that period where cinemas, A, were closed was was difficult. Well, then when they reopened and there was a lot of things being shown again from previous years, you know, that's not quite the same because you nice to have some, some new material out of the cinema. Um, obviously it's up to the individual if they're comfortable to go to the cinema. You know, that's, that's something that I'm still comfortable doing, but that's obviously an individ- individual decision based upon the uh, the viewer.
0: Ben, let's talk about your fast track to Superstar, <laughs> because, you know, you are quite the shooting star, aren't you? I mean, you started out, I mean, you started out actually at the theatre, and we'll we'll go back to that in a moment. But, you know, in terms of the, the, the general public in the UK, our perception of you initially was from EastEnders, and then before you know mm. it, you're in X-Men Apocalypse, and then you're Roger Taylor in Bohemian Rhapsody and Mary Shelley. I mean, it's it's a pretty cool life right now, isn't it?
2: You're great, by the way. You're giving me a massive ego, but thanks for that. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know about super stardom, but I am very thankful for the, uh, to the two who have worked on the have that, that I've worked on. Yeah, I mean, I've got into this racket thinking if I did Theater, all oh my life, I'd be happy. Maybe, I'll, maybe I still would do, but I um, obviously there's no theater i and running at the minute, not really. But yeah, so I'm very, 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 very lucky and very fortunate, and I've worked hard as well. So yeah, very thankful i have got the roles that I've got, and um, and I been get to keep exploring new characters and new projects and work with very creative. Um, that will be the aim. That's the hope. Have you know worked on those um performances.
0: From the outside looking in, Ben, you know, I can only see huge things ahead for you. And, and and I think part of the reason for that is, you know, you've got the looks, you've clearly got the talent. You know, you're a very, very capable actor who's commanded a number of different emotions very easily on screen, which is a, a huge thing to be able to do. But you've also got something which I think sets you apart, which is, quite frankly, balls of steel. And you'll you'll kind of hear where I'm going. I don't. I don't mean this to be a natural kind of connection, but I want to take you back to when you starred in the Judas Kiss at the theatre, David Hare's play, and you'll know where I'm going now. Full frontal nudity. Movement. Yeah, that's that was a brave
2: move. Did you? Did you see it? I didn't. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no just out of curiosity. You know that was uh curve up all the skill. That was just young actor out of drama school um, for, for, to work. Really, I think if I. I don't know if I would you know what, now I've done it, I would do it again. Yeah. But um, yeah, I was I was definitely very capacious about, about doing that. But you know, it, it sort of served to i got at the moment fears back closing my man. <laughs> but uh, it was actually quite liberating And the end. I ended up by the end of the eight month run, or maybe about a month into it really, I felt some sense of power and just uh, so my character in the in the play would stand center stage and expose himself um, and a sheet sheep from around his waist. So it was quite liberating in a way to expose myself to the whole auditorium. It was quite, uh, quite powerful in some kind of way. So yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to join a new colony any time soon, but uh, I, had a, I had a good time with that way, <laughs> for sure.
0: It's a big one to tick off the CV. It's, it's interesting you say you would do it again, because now, I mean, like you said, then you were starting out. Now you're very, very well known. I mean, there'd be Queues round the block. The ladies would be queuing up and they wouldn't really care what the play was, would they? You know, there'd be. I don't know.
2: I don't, I don't know about that. I would, wouldn't want them to come for the wrong reason. Yeah.
0: So, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to carry on this balls of steel analogy. I didn't mean it to mean to your private parts, but I also mean because mm. you have this attitude where you just say yes to things. For example, playing the drums, Roger Taylor, wasn't something you could do prior to landing the role in the film, but you told them you could. And then you got yourself local lessons. That's. You know, that's, there's some stones carrying on with that, man. Well done.
2: Thanks, mate. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, the old acting trope, isn't it? You know, just so you can do it and then figure it out later. It's definitely a, a real shock that, that I then bought a drum kit as well, so I was going to money on that as well. And I've, I've taken other shots like that before in the past that haven't, that haven't worked out, but well, as an actor, sometimes... You know, with, with John and Matthew, or you're hunting for work, there's a lot that is out of your control, but you can do what's within your control, and within your business, try and get a part at least you can walk away from it and, and say, well, I did everything I could. That's my philosophy.
0: And you can see Ben in Pixie on your first cinema visit out from the 23rd of October, and what better film to start your visits again with. Now, after the break, I'm joined by strictly judge Craig Revel Horwood. Driven with Andy J. It's Driven here on Talk Radio, the show that talks to celebrities and achievers about what drives them. And I'm so delighted to be able to introduce my next guest. He is a critically acclaimed dancer, director, choreographer and artist. And he is, of course, one of the most familiar faces on British TV, thanks to Strictly Come Dancing. I'm elated to be able to welcome to the show Mr Craig Revel Horwood. How are you doing, Craig?
1: Oh, thank you. That was a wonderful introduction. Thank you. Who well, wrote that for?
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's all true. It's 100% it's all true. true. It's all true. I love it. I mean, you have achieved so much, Craig, and I've got so many things I'd like to talk to you about. But we have to start off with what is, so, I mean, I'm sure loads of the public know about this, but you are also an author and now a novelist because we're aware of, yeah. uh, of obviously your biographies and so on. But yeah. now you've written... A wonderful novel, which I, I've I've started reading. I'm I'm well into it. It's a page turner. It's funny. It's romantic. It's charming. But it also feels to me to be quite autobiographical. Autobiograph- if I it, can put my it teeth back in. Yes.
1: Here. Well, it sort of is because it's based on my life when I lived in Camden Town in 1994, and I was living in a house share with six other people, and I was. I decided I was at at a crossroads in my life at that time where my dance career at the age of 30 was uh, coming to an end and I had to decide what to do. And of course, uh, I had no money. I had to make a decision about hanging up my dance shoes and whether I go into direction and choreography and whether or not I was even good at that. And I decided to uh, go for it. So it's, it's at that point where I was at a crossroads. And, of course, I was living with all of these other people with literally no money. So it was quite, quite difficult. You know, we had to be in a house share um, because of uh, money problems yeah. you know and for me uh, that was that created a london family for me because we're all people you know that come from all different walks of life together to try and make it in the city you know to try and become something as people that are uh, between their 20s and 30s all wanting something from life and searching for it and i was living with artists designers that sort of you know those t- type of people and they were all quite sort of mad, really, and arty-farty types, you know. So it was uh, quite amazing. And the stories that came out of it, I could not put into my autobiographies, really, and of which I've written three. So I thought, how can I express all of these wonderful characters and stories? And I thought, fiction, darling, because then, you know, because, because Ch- then you the can names. actually, you can sit, change the names, you can say anything you like. I absolutely <laughs>
0: love it. It's called Dungeons no, it's and Dreams brilliant. on Diamond Street. And it, and it yeah. really resonates with me. I mean, it reminded me of, of when I left university. I did a, a, a theatre and arts degree. And yeah. ju- just, I mean, just like you, kind of dived into this crazy big old world of London and, and you start living with with randoms who have kind of similar goals yep. and similar dreams and you start socializing in the arts and the
1: Phoenix and all these cool little places and... Oh, uh, that's true, yeah, completely. And it's all about, you know, Camden Town at that time. And I thought it was a really good time to write it, mainly because that's when fax machines were first available, you know, I remember <laughs> going we were all super excited. And uh, when we first got the internet, they dial up, you know, that thing yeah. that a lot of people don't know about anymore. <laughs> but it was uh, it, it was amazing, really, you know. But I, I, I totally loved that period of time. Of course, there were trials, there were tribulations, and there were fights, and there were arguments. But then, you know, all of us together became one big uh, family, which is brilliant and very sort of resonates with today when people, of course – You know, uh, are in similar situations, but in lockdown. So people are working from home. So now you're having to live with your other flatmates, Mm -hmm. you know, in house chairs. um, You're stuck with them because everyone is in their bedrooms working from home. So that doesn't normally happen. So that puts, you know, an added pressure, I think, on relationships. And it is about that, you know, and it is a romantic comedy. And I didn't want it to be doom and gloom and all, oh, it's nasty living with other people. It's not about that at all. You know, it's quite an amusing look. at uh, life back then and also my life but there's a, a lead character in it who is the patriot really of the house and his name is danny hall and uh, i based myself on that particular character all the way through so there was one sort of clear link you know that links everybody together and here's a character that sort of helps people out young dancers that are coming into the house that are auditioning for the first time in the west end or for movies and stuff like that yeah. uh there's another character in there that wasn't accepted in the countryside because he wanted to dress like Boy George and uh, wanted to change his name to Jewel, you know. And and it's about him getting through that. And he's very, very young, you know, someone at 18, impressionable, really trying to, you know, find his way in the world. So it is about those type of people. And also a much older character, Lil, you know, who ends up being uh, the mother type figure within the story. So it's been fantastic fun to write and the beauty is you can go to town on it can't yeah, you because absolutely. it's fiction i love that <laughs> well let
0: me, let me ask you it. because of course the, the character that you you, you sort of reference that is, is based loosely on yourself in adverted commas yeah. you call him danny and of course he's a former cats dancer he was he, he won an award for the best dancer in the west end etc <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. lots of these similarities here so so how did you choose what isn't your character but could be based on your name? How did you decide, right, if, if I would... Because it's a bit like thinking, who would you play with yourself in the movie? You know, who who would be the well, actor that's that would
1: it. play you? Well, I made sure he was hot, fit, <laughs> young and amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I'm not. Oh, come on. Uh, no, it's only because there's such a journey, I think, with that character because of the crossroads that he's at. And I think, you know, other people looking up to him and him learning from from the older people within the house as well, and also understanding other people's jobs. You know, I put a nurse in there because they have to work shift work yeah, a ma- lot. A male nurse, and of course, which was controversial people, then. You know. Yeah, and people forget that. You know, people from the theatre are coming home after working in the theatre at 11 o'clock at night, and that's when they start partying, because <laughs> that's when this poor character needs to sleep. So there there are all of these, you know, complications and people that have, you know, left surprises after being kicked out of the house, you know. I mean, this all happened, really. But um, I've just put them into different sort of guises, really, and tried to make it... Light, but amusing and heartwarming, you know, and I think that is the point, isn't it? We don't want to be reading about doom and gloom at this point. I think just to be able to associate with the characters is really, really important. Oh, it's a, and it's a uh, very they certainly read. resonate with me and they'll resonate with a lot of people and particularly in this time of uh, lockdown and, you know, uncertainty. I think it's really important to give people something to read that uh, they can follow and want to hear more about.
0: Yes, absolutely. It's a it's a very easy read. It's a very friendly read. And it's a. have smiled throughout every page that I've read so far. And I'm quite deep into the book now. And I'm already thinking, I don't know how this is going to end, but I hope there's a sequel. Are you going to keep going? Because these characters are lovely. Yeah. You sort of want to keep well, learning about them.
1: Well, even I want to know what happens to Danny. <laughs> <laughs> does, it, does it involve so a big I definitely, TV show? I definitely, as soon as we sort of finished it as soon as I you know, you put a full stop at the end of it and say, Okay, that's where we're taking the characters in this particular six month period you know, uh there's a long ways to go. So it would be really great, you know, to explore the characters a little bit more. Because Danny in the end thinks he may have found love, you know, so but we don't know yet. So it's mm-hmm. it's one of those there is and there's like really lovely twists and turns in it and a big surprise at the end, which people won't uh coming which is great uh, but obviously I don't want to tell anyone about that until they read it you know yeah. uh, but it's but really good fun and what a pleasure you know and I can base and basing it on you know what a dancer goes through in life is quite interesting because I think people forget how physical dance is and how you are exhausted and your body aches I mean every single day so it's putting up with that as well as the going for audition and not getting the part and not trying to understand and comprehend why, you know, and the struggle, of course, of having to pay the rent, of trying to get to the top of uh, the competition, you know, and how competitive the West End was at the time with major shows being out, you know, of course, at that particular time when Cameron McIntosh had huge shows like Les Mis, Miss i Gone, You know, there's some uh, just incredible musicals that were happening at the time. So a lot of work for people, but still the competition was fierce. So it's their the battle and struggle. Of, you know, everything that I literally went through in my life Yes. Uh, before, of course, the advent of Strictly came along.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Well, we have to talk about Strictly, but but you've mentioned Cameron Mackintosh and the, the sort of dominance of the West End that he had at the time. If you don't mind me yeah. saying, you were very involved as well. And and also, you, I mean, you were a huge part of this and you locked horns with him, didn't you, if I, if I remember rightly?
1: Yeah, we did. That was only... I'd worked for Cameron for uh, eight years as a theatre director, sort of an assistant, you know, to him, where when the original team, created team, would fly back to America or wherever they're from, uh, I would then take over the show and then maintain it, you know, for many, many years. And I was on Maltangar in that way, Miss Saigon that way after being in it. I'd put on a show called Crazy for You as well. And that's um, how I developed myself as a director yeah when we did lock horns you know to finally where uh, i've just wanted i wanted a credit to be honest yes. uh, just for a show that i was doing you know where i wanted to be called co-corp and of course that didn't work out and that went to someone else so then i was basically thrown out the double doors and told to stand on my own two feet which was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I can only thank Cameron, you know, for his insight and wisdom. I mean, at the time you think, oh, you know, it's devastating. Mm. What am I going to do? How am I going to survive? I couldn't afford my mobile phone. I had to give that up, you know, and I was just thinking this is crazy. And I went from a really good wage to absolutely nothing. And it was devastating, but it forced me to actually get out there in amongst it all and become a choreographer myself in my own right. And that's what I did. You know, I started at the Watermill Theatre doing shows there. I start, and of course at Chichester Festival Theatre. That's when I first did my had my first break, really, with a show called Pal Joey, and that received really great reviews. And uh, and from that moment on, the producers. You know, independent producers were asking me to uh, choreograph and direct their shows. So that's how that occurred, and that's the way to do it. I think. You know, I don't think you just fly in at the top level. I think you've got to learn as you go through in life, and I think it's really important to fail in order to understand failure to become successful. You know, I think that that in itself is important, and not to fear failure, but to actually embrace it and think, okay, I may have failed there, but that has taught me to do it this way or, you know, pushed me forward and pushed me on to bigger and better things and so I'm never scared of failure in fact I embrace it and I think it's really important to have that outlook in life.
0: It's so refreshing to hear you say that Craig because you know this show is about what drives people what gets them up in the morning and and what keeps them going And, and I would suggest that two of the things that encapsulate your career your life is talent of course which you have in abundance but but secondly resilience because a lot of people you've like everybody that's lived a life, you've had the blows. You've had that, as you described yeah. the failures. And a lot yeah. of people would just roll over and go, right, okay, well, I'll go and get a different sort of career now then. You've gone, nope, no, 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 I'm not taking this.
1: Yeah, I, do, I think it's really important to, uh, if what will I call it, if you've met the down gutter and been speaking to it, <laughs> it's really important to pick yourself up, stand up again and say, right, I can do this. Uh, maybe I need to change one little thing, you know, or uh, have an opinion that your story can be told. I think that's important, you know, and that's that's why I became a director choreographer, because I want to tell stories. And uh, that's obviously, you know, where the novel comes in as well, because I've had so many, so much experience now as a director and a choreographer of telling stories. I just thought it'd be wonderful to write something myself that I could Uh, push out there to the world as well so people do understand you know two other characters and hopefully they'll fall in love with those characters like I did in real life with my flatmates you know obviously I spent five years there and I was always saving and searching for somewhere else you know something of my own and I, I finally found a place in Camden Town that I could afford to buy And 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 I moved out of the house share, which was another hurdle, of course, because then you have the obligation of the mortgage, you know, which 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 doesn't hit you until it hits you, and then you know. uh, And of course, all of this happened with Hammer McIntosh and um, me, you know, losing that particular part of my life and job, Uh, and I still had to pay that mortgage. There was no way out of it, so that was putting a lot of pressure on me to get out there and be successful, and not only just for money, obviously, but uh, that's that's just the byproduct of it. Um, but it's for the art, and, and that's what I love about it. So I'm glad I went down the route of following my passion because I think that is important. I think you'll do a much better job if you're passionate about something rather than just doing it for the money or just doing it uh, even hierarchical, you know, in if you want to be, someone amazing it depends what you want but i think i always as advice would always say follow your heart and your dreams because then you can truly um learn to love yourself and everyone around you and i think that in itself is important i mean people Uh, see me as a judge on Strictly but they're only seeing 10 seconds of me critiquing critiquing a dance routine and I think I'm sort of misconstrued in a way I know that they call me Mr. Nasty but uh, that's uh, not the truth about me at all obviously because I'm just literally wearing a judge's hat on something like Strictly Come Dancing And, uh, and I have 10 seconds to say what I think is wrong or right with it so they can go away learn something and come back the following week a better dancer. You know, that's the whole point to it. I would hate to have been lied to uh, you know, with auditions. You know, you're always when you're auditioning, you always want to know what you did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why why didn't I get that job? What what is it about me that I need to improve? And it's always good to get feedback. And um, most actors and dancers absolutely love that feedback because uh, it makes you better. You can work on something. You can go home and think, okay, this is what I need to work on. You know, that happened to me once in a show called Le Cage I went to an audition and I didn't get the job and I couldn't understand why. Then I rang them up and they said, your arms are too wild, they're out of control, you need to control them, uh, you know, we can't employ you. And so I went, literally went back to class, and I thought, right, I've been told this. Yeah. So I worked on my arms, I worked on all of that, and tried to, you know, better my, myself and my dancing. And then out of the blue, I got a call from them, literally six months later, saying, we'd like you to be in the show I couldn't amazing. believe it. Amazing. Yeah, it's amazing. So I didn't give up, I think is the, the point. You know, I just worked on I thought, okay, I'm not going to let that, um, you know, push me down. I'm going to work on what I need to work on and get that job. And I eventually did. And uh, it was one of the most wonderful periods of my life. And it taught me a valuable lesson that it's good to listen to people. You know, people give you critiques in order to help. They don't do it just to be an asking.
0: Well, the, and that's the great thing is that the, the, the feedback that you give the contestants and clearly the feedback that you've received uh, in your career has been stuff that people can work on and improve on. I mean, I once went for an audition and uh, when we asked why it didn't come through for me, I was told it's because my hair wasn't long enough. I can't do much ah. about
1: that. <laughs> well you can get a wig darling. <laughs> well, well, we did offer.
0: We did suggest yeah. a wig. You know, if it's really I know. If that's really what it is,
1: you know. Yeah, but also they're looking for types, you know. You have to remember, I think, you know, particularly people that are performing out there or any actor that comes in for a job, you never know what the director is looking for. Mm. And you shouldn't put that uh, on yourself you just need to go in do the job that you're good at and be the best that you can be you know and it, it could be down to type and you're absolutely right you might be too tall you might be too short you know and or you might have the wrong color hair <laughs> or the wrong you know size shoulders or something or too big bigger feet you just don't know do you so i think it's best not to even think about that if you're right for the role the director will choose you and it's it's that simple
0: it? yes yes absolutely absolutely well i mean let's talk about strictly come dancing it's it's very mm. nearly back which is terrific i think it's the tonic that the that the uk needs at the moment something to sit down and just allow us to enjoy on a saturday evening and a sunday of course it's a, yeah. it's a tough old time though isn't it we've we've had to have all sorts of rules and regs in place for the dancers and and yourselves actually because of social distancing
1: yeah. Yeah, that's true. And I just have to commend the BBC for putting the show on. I think the nation needs it. I think it's one of those shows that provides hope, entertainment, and some normality in these weird times. You know, it's been quite upsetting for people, you know, and unnerving. And I think it's really important that um, people... uh, are subject to seeing it. I think, you know, they've all looked forward to it. And the BBC have just been incredible uh, putting it on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the the rules around it are actually rather simple, bizarrely. You know, um, the dancers and celeb form an exclusive support bubble, which is something, of course, that is available to the public too. You know, and once they're in that bubble, they can then think of themselves and their pro-celeb partners and any members, of course, of their household as one single household. So, uh, which means they're they're free, uh, you know, to live freely, uh, but can go to other jobs and all of that, as long as they keep social distancing, you know. And, of course, there's the other rule that if, if someone gets covid Throughout it, then they would have to be taken from the competition to protect everyone else, which yes. is fair enough, you know. But I mean, I just, you know, all the the government rules and regulations, as you know and as we all know, change on a daily basis. So uh, they've had to do a protocol really for absolutely every possible scenario, which cannot have been easy for the bee. But uh, you know, hands up to them; they're doing an amazing job, and they're going to produce. One of the most spectacular series, I think, that we will see because they've been pushed into creative corners, because they've been uh, pushed into Uh, something different, you know. So I think the show will look very different and feel very different. And I think that makes it even more exciting.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. And I suspect it will also be the most watched of all. I mean, it's everybody watches it anyway, but you can just see even more people will want to be tuning into it, partly to see how and why it's different, but also because we just need a lift.
1: Yeah, and something that feels normal to the lead up to Christmas, something you can hang, you know, hang your hang your uh, heart on <laughs> yes. if you like yes to go oh oh thank god a little bit of normality in the world and you know a brilliant entertainment show on a Saturday night for all the family and people that are you know isolating people that uh, can't see that many people or if you you know at the moment it's six it could go down to two we don't know what's happening it may be lifted entirely but uh you know Strictly is going to be there for the people, and that—that's what it's all about. You know, entertaining the masses and actually giving families an opportunity to watch something together, because there isn't much of that on TV. In fact, I mean, you know, all you've got as choice of is Netflix, really, and and you know, all the programs that people are trying to make at the moment, but um, a lot of it is reruns, isn't it? So it's it's yeah. quite quite difficult. But I mean, EastEnders obviously has come back. The BBC have managed to get, you know, some other TV uh, programmes on, which is fantastic. It's a bit sad for theatre at the moment because there isn't much, well, there isn't any work in the theatre at the moment. So for those people, it's really difficult. But who knows, um, maybe those performers could cross over into film and television because they're starting to become, you know, a thing that can be done with COVID. uh, And it might be the way forward for people, you know, as well. And there will be, theatre will change, obviously, to suit. Uh, Theatre will not go away, no matter what. You know, people need to escapism, and they need entertainment, and they need to not think about their lives. And that's why people go to... Uh, the theatre you know to sit there in the dark and maybe recognize themselves or learn something about themselves you know from the play or the show that they're seeing, you know, and that's an escapism, isn't it? And people need that in, right. in life. Yeah, well
0: yeah. no, I think we've we've needed the arts now more than more than ever before. Um Craig, I'm I'm mindful that we're we're very very nearly out of time. I've got some random yeah. facts that I've found about you from the internet. Would you mind if oh, I just sense check with them? Because some of them are quite bizarre and I love it. Okay. I, I hope they're true. Um, okay. th- the first one, you were the face of KFC.
1: Oh uh, yeah, Kentucky <laughs> Nuggets. <laughs> They were in nuggets, nuggets particularly, because that's when they first came out. Yeah, uh, and I was I was dancing, and I had um, I had to drive up to a Kentucky Fried Chicken store in Australia in a, a VW Beetle convertible, and I had to go in and get nuggets for my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and then I as soon as I started eating them, I started dancing in the car park. So there you are. <laughs>
0: that's wonderful
1: (laughs) yeah yeah I remember the jingle as well (laughs) so
0: face KFC brilliant you were the voice of McLean's toothpaste
1: I am McLean showing (laughs) (laughs) yep I was that too that's amazing
0: (laughs) I I love that you have a waxwork in Blackpool
1: yeah at Madame Tissot. Brilliant. With <laughs> darling. Bottle and myself, darling. Arlie went as a ballerina and me from Strictly. Yeah. And you can, I'm interactive. You can actually, as soon as you touch my hand and start dancing with me, I start giving you criticism.
0: Oh, that's great. <laughs> Presumably, you've visited yeah. yourself a couple of times. I mean, you have to, right?
1: Yeah. My head, well, my mum was up in Blackpool for the big launch for it. And, uh, the body came in, and then the head came in on a platter. Afterwards, <laughs> it was quite disconcerting because it's so real. I mean, it's unbelievable—exact height, exact weight, exact everything. It's amazing. Mm. I really, it was a, quite a long process—a six-month process as well—and literally hours and hours of modelling at a time. You know, on a—I was on a, a, a disc sort of spinning around at uh, five centimeters. You know, every turn, it was weird, Christ. but amazing. Yeah, yeah, love
0: the sound of that. But An- true. <laughs> another one for you, Revel is your middle name, not a double-barrelled
1: surname. Yeah, that's right. It's my grandfather's first name, who's uh, now passed, but he was Revel Hallwood. My father, who was now uh, passed as well, was Philip Revel Hallwood and I was named after both of them Craig Revel Horwood but um I changed it because there was another Craig Horwood at the time in Equity and you couldn't have the same actors with the same names yeah. so I had to put I had to use Revel but it's sort of the L and the H go better together anyway because Craig Horwood so the G and the H don't really work, <laughs> no, it's, but my ra- mother, I'm sure, was not thinking about that when she made me. <laughs> well, it, it tracks brilliantly.
0: I mean, when I when I when I have to tell my boys off, they get the full name as well. So, you know, maybe it, maybe it'll carry through. You know, I do. Yeah, it,
1: it might do. Yeah, do it
0: yeah. gently and in a nice way. Don't get me wrong. Uh, a couple of a couple of other ones which I know to be true, but I just think they're great, and I'd like to celebrate them. You choreographed the final scene of Paddington Two, which is just oh yeah wonderful. I mean, it's just...
1: Yeah, Hugh Grant was absolutely amazing in it. I mean, he studied for uh, three weeks. I was teaching him to tap because we wanted to do a tap number, a big sort of outrageous sort of tap number in in the prison. And uh, I got all the, the old boys back, you know, from times you know when I was working in the West End I was thinking now who would be my age that would be sort of out of shape and look like a thug you know or look (laughs) like a murderer that could do a bit of pink tap dancing and um, and put that together you know it was fantastic fun I absolutely loved it and um, Hugh was absolutely brilliant in it after three weeks he really, he did his own tapping. He did all the beats, the rhythms. They didn't have to be dubbed, nothing. It was amazing. Really good. And
0: it's such a lovely feel-good moment as well. It's just a really. It is. Oh, it's an uplift. I love it. Um, and, and I guess the last one really is that you, you were going to be having your one-man solo tour show going going around all balls and glitter. And it's, it's, yeah. it's on pause, of course, because it has to be. But do you have any update on when it won't be on pause?
1: Yeah. It's um, going ahead on the 20th of February. And I've just literally finished rehearsing it. I've just had three weeks rehearsing it because it's the only time I could get the director, lighting designer, set designer, uh, producers all together in uh, one room to rehearse it. So we rehearsed rehearsed that down in Southampton. And then uh, that's all ready to go now. And I'm just doing some final tweaks for um, next gym And praying... That the 20th of February will be full on and I'll be out there with it. And people are going to be, I think, quite surprised. <laughs> oh,
0: good. Oh, yeah, good. It's that good. sounds wonderful. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's, Brilliant. Good. it's good fun.
0: It's non stop
1: for you, isn't it?
0: It's a go, go, go.
1: Well, I think, you know, I can't, I've never been a lockdown type person. And if I am locked down, like I was, <laughs> uh, I decided to write a book and decided to get the one man show together i thought i I can rehearse that i can do that by myself you know there's a lot of things that you could do i learned how to use the washing machine at home um, (laughs) because that was all too complex for me and plus i was never available really i was literally coming into the house you know jumping washing and then just getting other clothes and taking them back out on the road again so it's been a really nice time you know to learn how to use the sit-on mower that was good. <laughs> um, I broke the fan belt of that, or the belt of it, and that started smoking, so the first time I used it.
0: <laughs> now, you must have, uh, you but, must have given it some I, beans then, Craig. I love that.
1: Oh, yeah, I'm well-versed with it now, <laughs> darling. I'm well-versed <laughs> with it, yeah. So um, it's been a learning experience for all of us, you know, and I've just been trying to make the most of lockdown period and not to waste the time but to learn you know to read to learn stuff about myself as well you know and improve my skills I'm actually I did some tap dancing as well I've been brushing up on that you know for the one-man show which is sort of cool and uh, yeah it was fun just to go back to it and especially after a double hip replacement I thought am I going to be able to do it anymore you know and the surprise and shock was oh yeah there's some beats still in there <laughs> Amazing,
0: amazing, yeah. I love it Well the one man show sounds brilliant, I'm going to have to come and see it and as for the book, Dances and Dreams on Diamond Street, terrific I, I really hope you 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 write a sequel because it is, it's just lovely, I can't recommend oh, it really
1: enough Thank you so much, that's very sweet of you
0: Craig, thank you for your company, you've been an absolute joy to, to talk to, I've really really enjoyed our chat, thank you very much indeed Driven
1: with Andy J.
0: Hey, welcome back to Driven Chat. Now, I've got one word to describe today's guest. God. Handsome. <laughs> Frustratingly handsome, painfully handsome, awkwardly handsome. If I could move the seats further apart, I would. He also happens to be lovely, a joy, and frighteningly intelligent. In fact, I need to find out something that he's not good at, because apart from the fact that it's a pleasure to be his mate, it's always <laughs> awkward to sit near him and you know be associated with him because of handsome i'm of course talking <laughs> to david gandy how you doing it's a guys? nice
3: intro it might be the best intro i've ever had i think it was very nice makes me feel a lot better after lockdown after... i mean come on it follows you
0: everywhere supermodel par excellence known for well you're known for many things now but it started off by being handsome
3: i well i suppose <laughs> yeah that's that's um you know the, the nature of the beast in, in the modeling industry i suppose but um yeah, but, I, you know, that, that's, that's a strange thing is, is when I first came into the industry that, that, you know, handsome or, which I don't honestly believe I'm, you know, handsome, classically, you know, classically handsome or anything like that, but, but wasn't wanted in the industry. You know, that, was, that was the weird thing. I mean, we don't, we we don't want at, handsome. No, we don't want handsome. It was all all about it, this. I, I'd known that back then. I could have been a model. It was all about like the, the skinny boy androgynous kind of look, you know, which is actually, actually after how many years, or nearly, nearly 20 years, has now sort of come back. So, you know, you're looking at these very young, um, androgynous guys again, you know, modeling clothing, and it, it never appealed to me, right. you know, it never, it wasn't inspiring to me. A sort of um, aphid thin look. Yeah, inspiring to me was, you know, when I came into the industry was the Levi's guys, mm. you know, that, that kind of old, old, you know. The, the Cowboys. The, the Cowboys, the old Hollywood, yeah, exactly. Like, the, you know, that kind of thing, it was, um, and that came back, you know, slowly and slowly. But, um, so yeah, it wasn't always an, an asset in some
1: ways.
3: <laughs> like, you're so well built, you're not right for us.
1: Oh, thanks
3: for that, i
0: I get that all the time. <laughs> you won't believe how often people say to me, Andy, you're just too buff. And but, it's like, and going into shops, you know,
3: speaking on the phone, it just, it follows me everywhere, David.
0: So I feel your pain. Actually, the, the, the,
3: the story that a few, quite a few years ago, I got um, most stylish man of the year award um, for GQ, which was, you know, an honor, which was, which was lovely. And it was the Hugo Boss Most stylish man of the year award. So it's sponsored by Hugo Boss, they vote for it and, and, and you get the, the thing. Five years before that, I was supposed to go and do a Hugo Boss show. I was brought into the show. I couldn't fit any of the clothing because I was apparently too big, too well-built. So yeah. I, I was ejected basically from the whole thing. And they and they never actually no one ever in the fashion industry if something goes wrong then they never speak to you oh right you're just sort of left on That's your friendly. Own. you're sort of just like around going is everything okay i mean is like no one's spoken to me for about you know two hours yeah. yeah yeah everything's fine everything's fine and i go should i not be getting dressed should i not be doing this no one speaks to you and then you get the, the the agent call and they go yeah it's not not going oh. to work out they've decided you're too big for this and um so i kind of went on a bit of a you know. Uh, uh, President got a bit, bit stubborn about it and went right. Well, that's me, Hugo Boss, not wearing Hugo Boss ever. Yeah. And then they give me the most stylish man of the year award. And I was like, for not wearing Hugo Boss. <laughs> I mean, that that was quite an astonishing <laughs> achievement. That swings around about. it's been some good stories actually through the years. I was, we were talking, we were having a, a chat the other day and uh, for, for Fashion Week and um, we were going through a few of the stories, which were fun. Well, look, we've got a lot to discuss,
0: but I want to take you back to the beginning, mm. right? Because y- some people have probably forgotten your entry into the world, really, into, into modeling. Because yeah. of course, we we know you for the posters, we know you for the speedos, we know you for the speed boats, we know you for the vitamins, and we know you for Marks and Spencers, and many yeah. other things. However, people may have forgotten Richard and Judy. Yes. Which is where it all began.
3: I mean, now I see that video, I try and forget it. <laughs> I try and burn every copy that there is now, and it makes an appearance now and again. Yeah, but that's where I started. so. Um... I often go back to this morning as well because that's where it kind of started. Yeah, and they've kind of followed me and they always go, well, "Do you want to come back and just chat? You know, what, what, what you're up to every couple of years?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course I will."
0: It's because they want um, ownership,
3: you know. And to be fair, true, You know, that we discovered it again. Well, yeah, they, they kind of did. It's probably a percentage to them. My my going <laughs> <laughs> to them. That I've never checked out. <laughs> Um, so yeah, it all started because I was at university, and um, yeah, it, it started from there. A housemate of mine put me in for this competition, which turns out to be this morning.
0: Now, is that true? Yeah.
3: Like, was it really
0: a housemate, or were you like, oh,
3: no, I'm having no, a good no. hair day? I'll just, I'll just pop <laughs> that into this competition. Still <laughs> waiting for a good hair day. Um, yeah, so it, that was basically yeah, she put me in for it, and didn't even really tell me, and they didn't reply to her, and then I got uh, a phone call from Select, who is my still my agent today, and said, you're down for this, and I, I literally put the phone down to them. So I'm really sorry. Don't know what you're talking about. Um, and re- spoke to my housemate that evening. It's so a very weird phone call from some guy at a modelling agency. And she went, "No, oh, no, 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 no! I put you in for a competition. You have to go." She, she then refused to come on. To the she t- needs to carve This she <laughs> she ne- now you're talking about Richard what? Judy needing a cut. She needs. to I was saying though, and then she refused to come on the TV program. I said, "Well, you have to come on as part of the whole thing." She wrote, yeah. "I'm not going on television." So my mum had to come on, and I knew she wouldn't come on. So I went home, because I had to be up, up in London, came home from university, and literally the day before I said, by the way, this is a deal. I'm on television tomorrow. The the camera crew are coming in two hours. And my mum went, No, no, I can't do that. I went, You have to, otherwise I've got no one. So my mum came and did it and pretended that she put me in for the competition. Brilliant. And I went from there. That's really cute. The the housemate that entered mm. you, obviously, you know,
0: big favour there. That was a big deal. Was yeah. it a housemate or was there a little bit of a was there some nighttime no, no, fun? No. I mean, because you know she was obviously drawn to you.
3: <laughs> no, that was we were we were very much mates and still keep in contact now and again. Um, but no, 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 that
0: was—it's it's a bit of a random way of asking if you were sleeping
3: with the lady that
0: submitted you for a modelling competition. <laughs> no, I should have just got straight down there, I? I,
3: if, if I was, I wouldn't admit it. <laughs> but no, because we she hasn't definitely. aged as well as you. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Actually, let's talk about that. I've mentioned age. You're 40 now. Yeah. Right now, for a a model, I mean, 40 for normal people is a bit of a landmark. You know, we we were brought up, we're very similar in age. We were brought up with the whole slogan, Life Begins at 40, which actually plays in your mind thinking, oh, no, it doesn't. That's that's it. That's finished. You (laughs) know, I'm supposed to be grown up. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) you know, sounded a bit like a very random puppeteer (laughs) didn't I? Anyway how has it affected you because of course you are now supposed to be an adult yeah you know you're supposed, supposed to be supposed, as the supposed to have yeah and you've got what I would describe same as me you've got the grown-up trappings you've you yeah. know you've got the partner you've got the, you've got the baby you've got the nice house you've got some lovely cars but what does it mean as a model is it is it is there some pressure now are you collaging it up what are we what are we doing yeah,
3: here I've never, <coughs> I've never really seen it so I, I came into the industry quite late at you know, being 21 nearly 22. So I was already, I wouldn't say a back foot at all. I actually think it was good to come into the industry because I had a bit more experience. I had no experience whatsoever, but I had more experience than a 16, 17 year old who usually comes into the industry. Um, So I I didn't sort of mind that. I had a little bit more confidence. I had, you know, an older head on my shoulders and a lot do. And I, the the difference within, I suppose, myself and other models is that I totally saw this as uh, almost like a business venture. Right. business point of view. It, 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 you know, the, the, the trappings of um, say, you know, the, the, the fame and the shoot and everything is, is wonderful. You know, the red carpets, it's, it's very exciting. But at the end of the day, I was looking at this of you know, always, where are we going in five years? How can we progress as a business? Oh, okay. um, and it was really, you know, that, that's where I, um, everyone laughed at me because I, I used to say, well, the female supermodels why do they earn so much money? How do they do this? Yeah. And, and I worked with a few and I spoke to them and, and then graduated for like the first five years of modeling, which I, I didn't do much at all. No one knew me and wasn't particularly very successful and I was, uh, I was doing OK. But I just observed those five years of how the industry works. I didn't, I didn't you know, aspire to be in the fashion industry. And then, you know, so we sort of went from there. So it wasn't really until sort of 2005 until I shot uh, the and Gabbana campaign. The light blue the year the following um which has been colossal for you hasn't it yeah still going we're still yeah. shooting yeah absolutely we're shot four of those commercials now um do you
0: reckon you'll still be doing them when you're 70.
3: hopefully not <laughs>
0: it's a bit of a flip you're now just getting older
3: <laughs> if you did that shh, it's me getting older <laughs> um and it just takes a, a lot more work to get in shape now for those shoots and everything we have to do so yeah um, so when that then the light blue came out, which was very exciting, I think some people may have sat in the laurels and just lived on that. That, to me, was another stepping stone to write, where now can we leverage that from here? Well, where can we go with that? And we brought in teams and PRs, and the team gets bigger, um, you know, to, to go from there. And, and, and everything was, which I saw the female supermodel was, they all had a name, as in everyone from outside the industry knew their name. Mm-hmm. So we had a Cindy Crawford and the Kate Mosses and the Naomi, you know, Naomi Campbells. And when you bring that on it, it brings such a gravitas to a brand you're above everyone else straight away oh. we're in the male modeling industry no one had that you may recognize people from certain but yeah. you didn't know their names you didn't know who they were so it was all about brand building and of course that just built and built and built and we just constantly sort of pushed the boundaries of, of where you go with people laughing at me all along the way yeah you know i was I, I said why do you want to work you know for 300 days a year for this amount when you can do three days for four times the amount. Right. That made no sense to me. Right. I mean, it sounds quite uh, big-headed to say that, but that's how the industry works. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you know, people say, "Well, like, you'll never get that. That's the female models. That's the, that's." The I said, "Well, what, what has anyone tried? Has and, anyone got yeah, this?" Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we kind of went from there. And so hopefully, I I I, I lay down a, a foundation, a platform for other guys to see where the, you know, what is possible. And of course, the industry has changed now. It's <coughs> digital, social media based. You know, the, 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 it's, it's a hard, hard game now coming into the industry because straight away brands, a bit like, you know, I, I brought so much, uh, you know, with a name and following and, 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 and uh, engagement, which, you know, with a brand, whatever I did, that that is what they're looking for immediately in yeah. social media or digital kind it's of, they, they bring, a way, so it? it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough, tough game at the moment for, for younger generations coming in. And I mentor a few people and people from, or a lot of guys approach me and ask me questions. <coughs> and I, there's only so much I can really tell them because it's changed oh. so, so much. Not for the better, I have to say. I think it's uh, Because of social? Um, I, not necessarily because of social. I think because of the marketing and uh, advertising strategies that brands have concluded they should use. Right. Um, and you had all you, know, you had these major brands, luxury brands, et cetera, who have so much money to spend on advertising and marketing and clever creative. We've got everything we've seen through the years Um, of of all the, you know, the the iconic books and the editorials and the campaigns of Avedon and Testino and Bruce Weber and all that, you know, they're they're famous, they're iconic. Um, Where are they now? Right. What are we, what do we have? I mean, there's, you know, there's an idea of that, that those adverts and those creatives have influenced us, not just shopping wise, but just influenced, you know, their, their artists, the photographers and the art directors. And now it's given across to uh, you know the the brands are just not willing to pay for that talent and those photographers and everything that came with it yeah. so of course the creative is less the engagement is less but they're getting the engagement from the social media side which is of course is a lot cheaper right um and then they'll see sales go down a bit and they say we're not selling as much so yeah. that we need to make some cuts so the first thing they cut is advertising marketing right and it goes in a spiral and um, and that's the way it goes it, that's that so I'm not blaming social media and influencers or anything like that I'm blaming the brands because they haven't done their research on it you know and there's still a little you know like Gucci um, uh, are, are very good still amazing creative big names yeah who's you know one brand's doing very well at the moment Gucci you know there's, there's other brands Cartier the same right where they don't do much with <laughs> social media yeah. or anything like yeah that. it's advertising and um, you, hopefully, you might see, uh, especially during this time, but, you know, we were chatting outside a little bit. Of, of people now, there's a, an opportunity with so many people being at home and so many people, um, you know, engaged so much on television and you know, social and everything. For, for brand to do something incredible, they need to spend some money and they need to yeah. bring back the, the yeah. incredible creatives. Um, but I still believe in young talent as well. You know, we're doing something at the moment. You know, that's, I think, you're, because then everyone is going to go well we're not using advertising we you know you're not using advertising as we did we're not using photographers as we did then where are the young photographers going to do are they just all on social media is everyone just taking pictures themselves so we're trying to now work on ideas of bringing very young talent into getting excited about photography you know the you know just just old school photography not yeah. on your phone yeah. a camera and everything else so um and try and keep that keep that going within the industry it
0: will come back it's not retro you know, no. people will see the difference between what you take on your phone and what you take with a proper camera with a proper lens, and they'll start to go, yeah. "Wow,
3: actually." And, and it you're, pops, <clears throat> those days. I mean, even you when know, we saw the change from uh, film photography to digital, and even there was a change because before, you know, a client or a brand couldn't see what a photographer and what an art director, right. the best in the world, could see. The great photographer will go, "Click." Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got that one. Yeah. Art director, got, got it. Client could sit there and go, "Sure, you got it? Okay, yeah, I got it." And you would end up with you know, these rolls of films which no one could see at the end of the day, but they would go off to be processed. And they would capture a moment. They were never, you know, okay, they're perfect. But if you looked at them from a digital point of view, because we all correct our you know, creatives now and make little changes, yeah. you couldn't. That was the image you got. So you might have gone bit a lens flare, you might have got a bit a movement. Yeah. That was the image. It was yeah. capturing a moment of that time. And then when digital came in, you had a table or, or monitors with all the clients with all the brand, and they used to stand there and go, ooh, that shirt's not quite, and took from went right, okay, well, let's change that, and let's change that. Which is a shame, isn't and it? Them, you know, and it then takes you the end, craft out of it. You ended up with this perfect picture, which was in, you know, which, yeah. but, but what, you know, it, was, it wasn't, uh, that creative element had completely been taken out. So then that was just, and then instead of shooting, say, five pictures a day, it was 20 pictures a day, because you could see it instantly, and it went through. And it just felt like a bit of, it feels like a bit of a machine right and that's what it is at the moment, completely lost really. its spontaneity absolutely so um yeah we're, we're always trying to you know if that's shoe I said that's not what we're doing but we're bringing in teams and I've done a lot of creative myself now um and I have something that I learned from um working with some of the best photographers and Mario and all those different people is often the same team because okay when you came you could trust everyone yeah. everyone was enthusiastic for that job no one was like mm, five o'clock we're all going to go home yeah it was if it the shot didn't get done we were going to work till nine ten o'clock at night but it was always fun it was a nice atmosphere and that's hopefully the same as i you know the teams i bring in so when i work with brands they say "Well, write about the creative and you know that's that's the easy part yes yeah. that's 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 simple we will we, we'll work that one out bring I'm up, exactly bring the creating. same as
0: you with 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 everything we do we're driven we the, the, the things we do and the things we create are because of the people that are in our driven family. You know, Last few weeks, few months, I've been exposed to a lot of celebrities mm. and because of lockdown and whatnot, we're either meeting face to face in the truck because we go to their homes or I'm sent their mobile numbers, not yeah. their person's mobile number or their whatever. Or, yeah. but I'm sent their mobile number. And what has been really revealing for me is I will always text afterwards if I've got them up, thanks ever so much.
3: Yeah,
0: There are some who are straight back replying, loved it, you know, whatever they, whatever they say, whether it's nice or not, but they immediate reply, and sometimes they even follow a dialogue, and mm. when the show's up, they kind of, oh, I've just been listening, and oh, you know, I love that you kept that bit in, or whatever yeah. it might be. The ones that always throw me are the ones that you'll have a really great chat with. You know, yeah. you feel you've both shared something special. You send a thank you note, never replied. <laughs> and there's a few people, and I'm just like, wow. Yeah. I thought we'd really connected. And you don't even say, you know, not even a, an emoji thumb would do. <laughs> You know? It's <laughs> so all you need. I'm not trying to be your mate. You can block my number if you want afterwards, but just acknowledge it. How hard is that? Yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah. I, th- I think it's a bit of, uh, you know, we're, we're in a phase. And we're, I do a lot for mental health and men's mental health, but it's such a, uh, and, and what you what you have learn from there is actually we're so uh, connected, but actually we are the most disconnected generation ever. That mm. actually, yes, there are so many processes we can connect together. Actually, this process of actually talking, we don't actually really talk anymore. Yeah. It is through a text message, through a WhatsApp or a you know, emoji or something else. And um I just think so many I and I sometimes think that there are so especially during lockdown I noticed because no one was communicating, that I was missing emails or a message and people came back to go, can you get back to me about that? And I said, when did you send it? Yeah. Because everything was just electronic. Yeah. So I'm so sorry, but, there's, but everyone's communicating with WhatsApp now. So I'm missing certain things where you go, I'll do that one later. And you forget about it. Yeah. So it is, I, I, I do think, I mean, I'm, I'm quite old-fashioned. I love a phone call. Mm. You know, people are shocked. You know, yeah, they, cool. they write me an email and I go, I'll give them a call. Hi. And they go, oh, God, yeah. why are you calling me? And I'm like, because we would be doing this for the next four hours on email. Yeah. Let's get it done in the next five minutes. Because I haven't really got time to deal with this, like, you know, you know to go on all day um and it often gets things done I quite, quite enjoy it's that absolutely yeah. well absolutely. I, I haven't enjoyed enjoy actually joking about that we we're talking about you know working out and and, and uh, you know how much hard it is I haven't worked out for four months I mean it shows
0: David I've been it, when you honestly it honestly does was, uh, coming uh, along. yeah
3: I've I've um but thinking we were uh, as, as I said we were up in Yorkshire uh, for the whole of lockdown for about three months so we didn't work out and then we went on holiday and I still didn't work out um, <clears throat> I was doing physical work. I was working with the land and the garden, but not saying I cannot move today from pain. I'm <laughs> on the dogs? I'm on ibuprofen. <laughs> I've been back to the gym for two days. I cannot move. <laughs> I mean, before lockdown... It's, it's fulcy, David, that's the problem. Don't say that's that. That's what it is. Because it's little, I'm a little, I'm little, down, I'm a little bit worried.
0: So I... I <laughs> You'll be, start to get patellar tendonitis in your knees oh, next. I You'll walk out a the gym with a twinge, <laughs> and then i you
3: know, I've got like a dodgy eye, like walking down, I'm not even sure what that is.
0: So I'm thinking about the hunchback look.
3: I mean, <laughs> is that in? Yeah, yeah it's, it's gonna happen. <laughs> and, and, you know, it just shows like, um, you know, how hard you, you know, when people work, it does take a long time to see success and to yeah. see, Results, but within three months, I mean, I, I was pushing—not too like too much weightlifting here—but I, I, I was pushing about forty-five kilograms aside on on on, on my chest. It's about what I do, yeah. and um, I'm a little higher than that. Actually, you? so you I should heard. push yourself a bit more. <laughs> and then the other day, I thought, you know, I'll, I'll warm up. Warm up. By the way, this was my warm up. for put twenty side. Got to like rep six, and I was like, on the first set, and I was like, twenty aside. side? <laughs> like, oh, oh, I just popped God. a hemorrhoid. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I just thought, this is, this is ridiculous. So I, I, you know, I thought it must be the heat, must be something else. So I put another five, so I was on 25, so which is really nothing. Um, had a proper fail, dropped it on my chest in the gym. <laughs> had to roll it down, <laughs> I think, onto the thing. <laughs> My arms were like jelly. <laughs> and I persevered and went back last night to, to do another mu- muscle group and I, I worked up on this morning. <laughs> yes, that's just <laughs> embarrassing. But it shows actually how, how quickly you, your body loses you know, that sort of unity uh, of, of working out all the time and yeah. sort of that muscle kind of thing. So yeah, it's it was absolutely mad. So yeah, I'm back to scratch, it seems, now working at the gym, which is a bit disappointing.
0: Something tells me you'll be all right. Just a the of things. You never know, not at
3: 40, awkward, this, this could be it. <laughs> you can call me next time, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm done. You'll be like, yeah, we'll do it on the phone, yeah? <laughs> I can't pick the phone up. It'll <laughs> be a phone interview <laughs> I'll and I'll send can't. you some photos. <laughs> <laughs> send me a whatsapp i can't, <laughs> can't, get, can't get my phone up to my it's head an archive at collection
0: interview <laughs> let's talk about my greatest hits you say i know we're, we're kind of coming out of time now but you, you mentioned you do a lot for men's mental health hmm. which is something that you know is, is becoming a lot more prominent which is great but but if i can ask kind of humbly what, hmm. why is that what what is what has got you involved in in men's mental health is it because you've had some sort of circumstances yourself or just because you're aware of
3: um i've had i mean compared to lots of people that you know the, the severity of the problem i've had nothing mm. but i've I, I call them little dark periods um mm. and they're things that you cannot explain to anyone um very very strange and and you just go into a, a bit of a, a dark hole and i always know it you'll snap out of it yeah um you don't know why you just wake up one day and you're snapped out but before that it's a bit of. A, of a dark time um i've been around people um in past relationships and girls who who suffered quite quite badly from it and and bipolar so i've seen the other side to it and just in the world that we are at the moment again we're going back to social media and no one talking no one connecting Mm. properly Mm. Um, it's a major issue it's the biggest um, killer of um, of men under 45 which is male suicide yeah um, and I just think I'm not sure if it was we, we, we don't talk about we've started something called the Whole man Academy uh, which is the company we've started which we say uh, it's for men to do life better okay and really it's just about everyone talking everyone chatting I, I, I've done talks and we've done podcasts of just people hearing how um, you know, have overcome certain problems um, you know, sort of I- ideas like that not just to let not you know to let everyone know that it doesn't matter how much money you earn, doesn't matter about fame or success or anything, it does not matter. You can go into these, you know, these periods and no one really, really knows about it. And, and men are useless at talking. Yeah. Women have this advantage in the point that, and this is hopefully not being stereotypical between two sexes, but women talk, as in, you know, they're, they're friends. with Men go down the pub and take the piss out of each other. Yeah. Um, and that's something I think, I think we are opening up more and we need to but you know, Whole Man Academy and other things we're doing is just a chance to have a, have a chat and realize you're not on your own, and just, just have an opportunity. If you feel like you've, you've um, you know, acknowledged something in the podcast or in the chats, just have a chat to someone about it, and we can, we can help, or, or you may just feel better listening to other people, oh, that's do you know, the thing. Do you
0: know what? To hear someone like you, who from the external has, has got it made, you know? So, so you know, like if I, if I was having a dark day, as you describe mm. it, and I was you, the flippant part of me would be like how do i get out of this i know i'll look in the mirror because you're David <laughs> Gandy and you look back at yourself and you oh, know we're still good we're all right we're all right that handsome comes back yeah. but it's not like that and that's and that's no, the no, point no, is, is it it's doesn't God. matter who you are and what you've got in your life and how much uh, back end yeah. is happening in your world yeah. you are still allowed and are prone to have and you, funk days
3: the thing is the thing is Randy. if we all i mean do we do this. Not we could talk about this for hours. I've got a children's charity as well, where we all pigeonhole and stereotype each other. Mm. You're this or this. Mm. You can do mass chemistry, but you're brilliant. You're very clever. If you can't, you're you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. We do this through school, and we do it through education, and we do that you know, throughout everything. So you're an introvert or extrovert, or well, maybe you're not. I'm I'm quite an introvert, but actually there's an extrovert that loves being on set that loves playing a character that loves being around everyone, which is opposite to how I am in real life, which is a complete loner. I always have been to be alone with the dog and to go for four hours of walking is my ideal. Um, I just seem, you know, and I've now got this little midget person called Matilda that's with me, usually sitting on my shoulders, which is, you know, which is great as well. You know, that's amazing. But you know, you're pigeonholed into one of these two categories and it, it just doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's like there are so many um, different elements to everyone. And when everyone looks at something with someone in the public eye and they look at the red carpets and the fame and the cars and all this and the crowds and the people coming up to you and think, God, that must be wonderful. And a lot of the time it is. But you could be one of two people. My other half, Steph, when she's around people, she gets encouragement from it. She loves being around other people. She gets such an energy from it. If I'm in that situation, I get drained after a while, really? and I just have to get out. Yeah. So yes, it is nice for a while, but then it, it, you know, it sort of backfires a little bit, where in the end you, you, you demonstrate you just need to get out. You know, you, you can't get away from it because it's very draining. Um, so it's automatically thought that this is brilliant, and sometimes, and you know, I'm not saying it's not. It's just you know you can be very different from other people, but again, it's you know this is good, that's bad. Sometimes it's not, you have to meet in the middle somewhere. And it's a very difficult thing for people who've never suffered um, to understand it. Oh. you know, that that's um, that's the biggest thing to understand. I can't understand the extremities of mental health because I've never gone through them. Yeah. But I can understand probably that if I had those darker times and they were ten times worse than that and you, you weren't going to snap out, you, you know, I know I'm going to snap out of it. If I didn't, where's the ending from there? You know, that's how I kind of picture right. it. So, yes, it's something we all need to have a chat about. Yeah, which is fine, but that's it. No, I'm
0: glad you're doing it. It's, it's one of the things that we've had as a recurring theme on Driven, and it's mm. come up with so many people, never with me going, oh, tell me about your mental health, but people bring it up. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's something that Katie Mallow, you know, she, she told me about how she was hospitalized with a nervous breakdown because of the pressure of life, mm-hmm. you know, and, and externally, we look at all these people and we're like, wow, 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 wow. wow. And then you realize, do you know what? Mm. Everyone's got their own truth. Yeah. And more often than not, everyone's got their own challenges. Mm. And whilst your challenge to me might seem like, oh, that's easy, to you, it's a huge challenge. Mm. You know, and to the next person, so we can't judge other people. We just need to live our own lives, and if we need help, pick up the phone.
3: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very, very true. Um, And it's often the people that you think are fine Mm. that are sometimes suffering. It's it's the quieter ones that you look at and think, "Ah, that's absolutely fine, you're competent, you're confident, and everything else, they're actually hiding. I mean, I still say, if I turn up for a red carpet, the type, I mean, you know, for, for anything, for GQ awards, for, there's a moment, every time I get in that car, that if someone said, do you want the car, do you want to get out? I'll be like, "No, nope. I'm still myself to this day, and I've done really? so many of them. Um, but it's, you get out and the cameras and the people, and it, you just, once you're in it, then you're fine. Performance but it, but it's sense. that point before, and it's, um, the amount of people you speak to, you go, oh, we're exactly the same, really? But, the, you know, the, you're perceived as, you should love that straight away, it mm-hmm. should, uh yeah, and and I and there are some people that you know do love that and that's absolutely fine. But again, we're going back on to everyone is different yeah. and people has to accept that there are differences. And difference, you know, differences scares people mm-hmm. in life. That's that's the thing.
0: David, I mean once again, it's, it's always such a pleasure talking to you. you you've you've proven you to, to me again, rather frustratingly, you're much more than handsome.
3: You know. <laughs> that's very kind.
0: Deep thinking, insightful Apparently
3: can't push twenty-five kilograms, but I mean, <laughs> turns out you're a bit of a weakling. But <laughs> That's okay. I'll take
0: it. Now I've found your weakness. (laughs) I'm going to bench 26 in front of you and
1: beat that. You
0: can't. Um, David, thank you very much for your company. Pleasure. Thank you, sir.
3: Pleasure.
1: We're driven with Andy J.
2: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50